Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. We're in a great series called Joy for All the People. And uh, this is a great uh, sort of set up as we head into next week and into Christmas. This, this time of Christmas is one where people, more than really any other time in, 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 in our calendar year, are open to the things of God. You walk through the shopping center and you hear songs being sung about Jesus. This is an incredible thing. In a society that's getting all uptight and all negative towards God and, oh, you can't talk about those things. We go and put Christmas carols on in, 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 our, in our shopping centers. I just think it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, what, what, a great, what a great avenue for us to walk along and to start talking about the things that have really touched our heart. And so, you know, in this church, we're really passionate about reaching people with good news, not just with bad news, not just giving them a bad diagnosis of what's going to happen to them, but giving them hope and a future and, and wanting them to experience joy. And that's what this series is all about. You know, in, in Proverbs 29, verse 18, the Bible says that without a vision... People perish. In other translations, it says that where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. What the Bible is telling us here is when we don't have a sense of purpose, we can go wayward in our life. We can start to search out looking for that sense of purpose that we so long for on the inside of our life, but we can go looking for it in all the wrong places, trying to fill a God-sized gap in our life with all sorts of other stuff. And so the Bible here is pretty clear. It says, without a vision, people perish. You know, God's got a vision for the earth. God has a vision for humanity. God has a vision for his creation that it would be redeemed, that it would be restored, that it would be renewed, that he has reclaimed what was his. Jesus said that I've come to, come to ransom those back to myself, pay the price, pay the when If it's a ransom, it means that we were already his. God is reclaiming what is already his. He has a vision for your life. He has a vision for, your, for, for, for his whole creation. And, you know, what is extraordinary about this vision that God has is that he invites us to participate in the unfolding of that vision. This blows my mind. This is the equivalent to giving the keys to your company to a bunch of teenage work experience kids. God extends this gracious invitation to you and I to partner with him in the, 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 the telling of his story. We call it the gospel. And this good news story, this joy-filled story that he wants every person to hear and respond to and experience joy in their heart. But you know, the, the, the truth is that we could also flip that proverb around and we could also say that without people, a vision perishes. See, a vision isn't a billboard out the front of your organization. A vision is not a screen. A vision is not a flyer. It might state the vision, but a vision is actually carried by people. So when Jesus called his followers to him, he's walking down a beach, he wasn't there on a flyer drop. He wasn't handing out business cards. His invitation to them was, come follow me. So it wasn't that he wanted them to catch the vision as so much as he wanted them to embrace the visionary. And in order for us to carry the message of what God wants to tell in this earth, 
out of these doors, out beyond these four walls, it, that message must resonate with us in such a deep level that we don't just capture the message, but we capture the messenger at a heart level. It's about what happens on the inside of our hearts. It's not about the external behavior that we present to God in this endeavor. It's about what's happening on the inside of us. You know, uh, last week we were privileged. We were in a, uh, a church in Sydney and we got to see some people get baptized. And we've done that here in this church. It's fabulous. We have the, the water up on the stage and, and we see people, you know, they, it, it's about, it's a, an act of obedience, seeing your, your old life get buried with Christ and you're raised to new life that Christ has purchased for you. It's this beautiful thing. You know, Jesus himself got baptized in water in the Jordan River by his cousin. His name was John the Baptist. And I love John the Baptist's attitude. He said this phrase. He said, you know what? I must decrease. He must increase in this earth. And so John takes Jesus, and Jesus didn't have anything to repent from, but this was an act of obedience and servanthood on Jesus's part. And he goes into the water, and he comes out of the water. In that moment, there's a a dove, symbolic of the Holy Spirit that rested upon him. And there's this voice from heaven, the Father's voice saying, this is my son who I love, in whom I'm well pleased. This is an amazing, you've got the Trinity just turning up to his baptism. This is amazing. You know that the word baptism isn't just used in conjunction with water. The word baptism is actually a transliteration of a Greek word, baptizo, which means to be fully immersed. Fully immersed. So when we baptize people, we don't spray them with a hose. So that would be awesome. No. Uh, <laughs> has anyone ever seen the movie Nacho Libre with Jack Black? And why have you not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? So anyway, I digress. The word baptism means to be fully immersed. And so we see this word used in the New Testament, not just in conjunction with water baptism. We see it used in all these other areas. We see uh, it, Jesus talks about, Baptism, he says it's a terrible baptism in, in Luke 12, where he's talking about going to the cross, what he's got to walk through in order to set us free from the power of sin, dying on a cross, being tortured and ridiculed, being stripped of everything. And that was going to be a terrible baptism. Jesus had to fully immerse himself into that process, had to give his whole being to that. We see uh, Paul talks about Baptism, he says that we are baptized into the body of Christ, the church, by the Spirit. So we're fully immersed into the community of faith that we, we, we find when we meet Christ. We are fully immersed. We're fully committed. We're dedicated to that place. That's why coming to church just at, you know, once or twice during a year, once a month, it, it's not really cog, you know, cognizant with the, with the message of what Paul's writing here. He's saying, you know what, you need to immerse yourself. Then we see the immersion of the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, this idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. And these gifts get released, these supernatural abilities. All of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you start to get these supernatural abilities are released in your life. This is amazing. See, the, the, the power of immersion is, is that you're completely surrendered. And surrender is the place of power. And this morning I want to talk to us about if we want to be partners with God's mission, if we want to partner with his vision for the earth to see all people experience joy that comes from, a not, from knowing God, from being connected to Christ, then we ourselves must be fully immersed, fully surrendered into that place of power and authority. 
I want you to come in your Bible with me this morning to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. This is Jesus giving instruction to his followers. He says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way or your selfish way. Other translations say you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. You mean anyone has lost it recently? (laughs) But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit? It's a great question. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? You've got the car, you've got the house, you've got the job the travel itinerary, you've got all the things, all the stuff, but lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? What a great question to ponder on this morning. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that your word is light, it is life, it is living and active. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. So Father, this morning we we understand that you're talking to us at a heart level. God, we want to open our heart to you so that we can hear you. Holy Spirit, would you make it easy for us to understand the things of the kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, the other day I was helping a friend move a lounge into her new unit. And uh, on the way, I found out that the unit was on the top floor. Yeah. Uh, That's called helper's remorse right there. And, And... It wasn't just that physically we had to get this lounge up the stairs. It wasn't just the physical journey of this lounge. No, no, there was another journey that I was walking as we got to the fourth flight of six flights of stairs. And there was, you know what I'm talking about? Like you, you start to question your judgment. You start to question who you are. You're starting to question some of the decisions that have led to this point in your life. And, and it wasn't just about pushing against the forces of gravity and dragging this lounge up into her new apartment. No, no, no. There was an inside journey happening. You know, it's like Sir Edmund Hillary. He was was the first first guy, you know, he climbed Everest. He wasn't the first guy. Let's be honest. He was probably the first Westerner to come back down Everest and tell everyone about it because the Nepalese Sherpas are probably running up and down it for kicks. It's probably part of their high school graduation. Who knows? But he came back down and he said this, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. Isn't that true that there's kind of these two journeys that we're walking in life? One is overtly physical and practical, and it's all about, you know, our our environment and our circumstances. And this is the journey in life that the Pharisees of Jesus' day were very preoccupied with. They had written over 600 little bylaws to wrap around every activity in our physical journey, the way that we talk, eat, sleep, you know, did all of this stuff. It's the physical journey. What Jesus is pointing his finger to is the inside you, is the, is the heart of the matter, the matter of your heart, your hopes, your dreams, your fears, your anxieties, these things that happen on the inside of you. And we know this. We know that even though we can be in a very peace-filled circumstance, we might be down the south coast looking at a beautiful beach and feeling the, the warm summer breeze on our, on our necks and our back and thinking, oh, wow, but we don't feel peace on the inside. We can be at a joy-filled party, but not have joy on the inside. So there are these two journeys that we're walking. And Jesus here is pointing that actually the, the matter of your heart is of great importance to God. What's happening on the inside of you? 
In Proverbs 23, verse 7, the Bible says that as we think in our hearts, so we are. In Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance. That's why I put pants on for you today. But God looks at the heart. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says to guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else. Anything you guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life, the direction, the way. So when Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew, he says, hey, I want you to give up your own way. What he's asking us to do is surrender our heart. Because if my way is determined by my heart, then when Jesus says, give up my way, I must give up my my heart to him. I must baptize my heart in the waters of surrender. If I really want to experience the joy, the peace that comes from knowing Jesus, I must baptize more than my behavior. I must get more than my feet wet. I must dedicate my heart to him. You know, we live in a culture that does interest and not so much on the dedication side of things. We're all eggs for breakfast and no bacon. It's like the chicken is interested. The pig is dedicated. You know, you'll get that on the way home. We live in a prenup generation, a, a warranty generation, a returns policy generation. We like to try before we buy. I can bet you that you'll start to keep all the receipts for everything that you're buying people for Christmas because you want to get maybe your money back on those things. We, we, li- we like to live with a, with a back door just over there, with an exit strategy, with a way back. But Jesus here is instructing us to, to dedicate ourselves to him. In order to be participating in his purpose, in the unfolding of his vision, I must dedicate my heart to him. This is a, this is a big thing. I've got to immerse my, my whole life in, in surrender to him. The reason is that our surrender underpins every activity that we then do. If I'm surrendered to him, then it underpins my servanthood. If I'm serving without a surrendered heart, what I'm actually doing is trying to manipulate God and others in order to get a return. But if I'm surrendered, it doesn't matter because it's not about me. My surrender fortifies my faith because it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. So we see this story that Jesus told of two lost sons. You might, might be called the parable of the prodigal son in your Bible in Luke chapter 15. But it's a parable of two lost sons. The first one leaves and is more overtly lost. Let's just say that. He goes on a journey like many people do of self-discovery. He takes his inheritance and he goes and he spends it on wild leaving. He just does whatever feels good. And he looks for truth in his own experience, in his own, in his own self-journey of discovery. He, he wants to find what, what, what is meaningful in life. And there's a lot of people out there and maybe you're one of them here this morning. You, you're on a journey of self-discovery. You're looking to find truth in your experience. This is the younger brother's journey. Well, eventually he runs out of money. He finds himself in a fairly dire situation. He, the Bible says he came to his senses. He says, 
well, here I am eating the food of pigs. I could go back to my father's house. And even if I was just a slave, even if I was a servant, I'd get treated better. I'd have a better, better life than living here. So he, he, he walks back with this idea of repenting and, and turning back to the father, hopefully just to be taken on as one of his staff. And the father sees him while he's a long way off and he runs and embraces him with, 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 with grace. That would have cost the father so much. Having think, you know, he's already given up his inheritance. He's already paid, you know, probably had to sell land, sell stuff to give to this son who's run off. And he says, no, no, I'm going to welcome you back as a son. Extraordinary expression of grace. That God loves us just the way we are. That the grace of God is, is sufficient to reach into your very now and, and pull you out of the, the miry clay that you might feel that you're stuck in and trapped in. That all the momentum of your life has taken you one direction. You find that the grace of God can call you back. The grace of God is an amazing thing. But it's only useful if you understand that you need it. Because there's another brother in the house, and he doesn't, he doesn't understand that he's also lost, that he's hiding behind good works. As it's been said before, the way to avoid Jesus is keep doing the right thing. The way to avoid Jesus is to keep doing the right thing. Sometimes we can get trapped in just the moral conformity of Christianity, thinking, oh, if it's just about doing this, it's about behavioral adjustment. It's about immersing my behavior and my lifestyle in the instruction of what God and how God wants me to live. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's about surrendering your heart. So what we find is that in this expression of grace from the father to the younger son, that the older son gets an attitude problem. And he doesn't understand that, that, that the father loves his son. He, he, he wants them to enjoy the feast of his love together. And so the, young, the older son separates himself from the father at the end of the story. He says, you know what? I don't want to come into that feast. I don't want to come into that celebration. I've been here. I've been doing the right thing for so long. I, I, I've, I, I've been serving you. I've been obeying you. And, and you never once gave me that. You know, what do we see happening in this, this guy's heart? Well, what's happening is that he's been, he thought it was about moral conformity. He thought that it was about what, still what the Father could do for him, not what the Father meant to him. And so you and I can be younger brothers or older brothers and still miss the point that it's not about self-discovery. It's not about moral conformity. It's about experiencing grace and surrendering our heart to him. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you've been walking a journey of self-discovery. Maybe you've been walking a journey of moral conformity. And, you know, those two groups, they love to just throw rocks at each other all the time. Pick a subject. We'll just start flinging mud at each other. But Jesus is pointing out, no, no, neither of you have got this. Because I'm not after your behavior. I'm after your heart. Powerful. So what do I trust more in? I trust in the finished work of Christ. I trust that, you know, God can work things out. Instead of me having to manipulate others and force my agenda and control the situation and always be in charge, that I can actually let go and let God. Instead of trying to win that argument to win someone to come to church and then win them at an intellectual level to try and convince them that God exists and that he loves them. No, 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 but you, actually, you, you have a revelation of a heart surrendered to his grace that flows out of everything that you do. That you're not working to bring that person next week so that you feel better about your relationship with God. You want to see them 
experience the same level of joy, peace, and love on the other side of that surrendered heart that you yourself have received. This requires an immersion into the things of God. Jesus himself had to immerse himself into a position of surrender. The Bible says that he took on the very nature of a servant. What does that mean? In John 4, we see a glimpse of this when he's sitting by a well and he's had a conversation with a woman and his disciples come back because he was hungry physically. And when the disciples get back, he says, you know, I, I, I have food that you know nothing about. My food, the sustaining power of my life is to do the will of him who sent me. There's a sustaining power that begins to work in our life when we're surrendered to him. Then we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's about to go into this terrible baptism, this terrible moment process that he's got to walk through in order to liberate people from their captivity. And the Bible says he was so stressed out, he was sweating drops of blood. And he's wrestling with this whole thing of surrendering his will to the Father. Re-surrendering himself. And sometimes that can be the word for us. I I need to re-surrender that every day, every moment, I need to find my way back to that place of surrender because, yeah, I once surrendered my heart, but now I've sort of taken it back and now I want to do this with it. And he's in the garden and he knows that what he's got to walk through is painful. He knows that what he's got to walk through is, is, is more than laced with suffering. That this is not the easy way out. And he says to the Father, he says, Oh, if you could take this cup of suffering away from me. Sometimes it's not easy to do the right thing, is it? It's not, not easy to do, to do what God is asking us to do. But then he says, Actually, not my will, but your will be done. This level of spiritual maturity is so attractive to other people. So when you're surrendered, your security is not based in your own works, your, your, your ambition, your ability to achieve. It's based in your ability to receive. This is so countercultural for us because if you went to your boss tomorrow and you said, you know what, I'm good for it. I'm good for 2018. I'm good. You give me the money now and I'll work the next year. They're going to laugh at you, aren't they? If you went into your educational institution and you said, hey, I'm good for it. I'm good for the, I'm good for the master's. I know it's you know, three years, probably take me four or five. But I'm good for it. Could you give me the degree now because I want to receive it? No, no, they, 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 they laugh at you. But when it comes to God, we receive first. Jesus' baptism in water was so powerful that when he came out of those waters and he heard the voice of the Father say to him, this is my son in whom I love. Get that. We all love our kids. Get it. In whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't performed a miracle yet. He hadn't healed a sick person, hadn't walked on water, hadn't died on the cross. Yet here is the Father accepting his son. I'm well pleased. I'm wondering if you're still living a life and a walk with God where you're trying to achieve the acceptance of the Father that has been freely given. That maybe the the key to you participating in, in, in God's plan for planet Earth is for you to first receive and surrender your heart to Him, immerse yourself in Him. Not just your behavior, but your heart, the inside you. Because as Jesus said, What does it benefit you 
You gain all that other stuff, but lose your soul. I want us to take a moment as we come to the finish of our service in just just a few moments is to consider before God, where's my heart at? To do a heart check, to be honest enough in the presence of God to say, okay, God, I want to get real with you. And maybe you've taken your heart back off him. You've said, no, 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 I'll keep that for a while because I've got some things that I want to take care of. Maybe you've been wrestling with this for some time. Maybe you've been hiding yourself behind good works, making deals with God. Hey, God, if I live this way, would you do this for me? God, if I, if I tithe every week, could I get a house? Hey, God, if I... We try to rub the genie lamp the right way. Here's a moment as we come into this beautiful season of Christmas to re-surrender our hearts to Him. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. If you get past your pride, which is the barrier we're talking about here, if you get past your pride... God will help you get past your problems. He'll get you past your problems. Maybe you've tried to anchor your peace in something other than a surrendered heart. Maybe you've anchored it in your wage, your provision. That's fine while the money's flowing, but then when the money stops flowing and the money's acting funny, as they say, you you start to lose your peace. See, all the devil needs to go after is that thing that you've anchored your peace and your joy and your hope in, and and you lose your peace. But if you surrender your heart to Jesus, nothing can steal your joy. Nothing can steal your peace. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.